Hello and welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramal Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me again this week is co-host, as co-host is Christopher Pushaw, our Executive Director. So welcome, Chris, to the show. Thanks for having me, Ramal. Of course, yeah. It's, it's been great having you step in um, as our, our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher, is off this week as well, but uh, I'm sure we're going to have a very good conversation today. Looking forward to it. So, um, you know, Chris, last Thursday, September 28th, was celebrated by the UN and across the world as International Safe Abortion Day. I'm sure the irony is not lost on you, as is with most of us uh, who are pro-life. We can see that abortion can never be safe. But it certainly looks like Planned Parenthood's initial campaign to make abortion safe is still resounding. We know that this is a complete lie. Abortion guarantees the death of a child and leaves women vulnerable to physical complications and deep psychological distress. And yet, sometimes miracles happen and the child is spared. These abortion survivors have a story to tell that is far more impactful than any scientific evidence or education. Their very lives challenge the abortion industry's narrative and they witness to us the preciousness of each individual life. And our conversation today is with Lauren Ethan, an abortion survivor who has bravely shared her story with the world. Now, before we go and before I introduce our guest uh, for today, um, I just want to remind you all of a very important event that is happening in Pittsburgh next week. So uh, we had Meredith Parente from the McGee Project on our episode on our podcast. Um, last week on our last episode, and uh, she described to us uh, what the McGee Women's Hospital in Pittsburgh does, and they are notorious for the for having the highest number of abortions in Pennsylvania, and they're all they also engage in fetal experimentation with baby aborted baby pots. So um, there is a rally and a prayer walk that is happening in Pittsburgh on October 9th at 5:30 outside of the McGee Women's Hospital. And I just want to give a reminder to our listeners, if you're in the area or you're able to reach there on October 9th, uh, that is Monday next week, please be there and witness to, um, to live testify against what is being done at the hospital. Uh, we have Chris from our organization who will be testifying at the virtual meeting that the board is conducting. But we also ask that you would go out there and support uh, the McGee project and be a part of this rally. So um, that's our, that's my little reminder for this week. And now I'm gonna introduce our podcast guest. So as I said, um, our guest today is Lauren Eden, an abortion survivor. She's a wife, mom, minister, and a second trimester surgical abortion survivor. I think that's a very important part of her story as you will hear in a little bit. And she has, um, in 2020, she connected with the Abortion Survivors Network, and that catapulted her into sharing her abortion survivor story. 
Since connecting with the network, Lauren has completed healing and speaking training, advanced speaking training, and is now a facilitator for speaker training. Lauren has shared her story most recently at the National Right to Life Convention, Georgia Life Alliance's Together for Life Rally, Vermont's Right to Life March, and in interviews with Fox News, Newsmax, Live Action, and The Epoch Times. Lauren's passion is using her voice to help others understand the truth about abortion, being a voice for the unborn, and helping people understand the church's role in coming alongside women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. She considers herself a champion for life and for the next generation. Now, Lauren used to be in broadcasting industry, but she quit that after she found out about her story uh, to do full-time ministry. So welcome, Lauren, to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Of course. Yeah, I think first off, I just want to say how, like, applaud you for how brave you've been uh, to coming out and sharing this story. I'm sure that's one, this is one that has impacted your life tremendously and, uh, but you were willing to share the truth of that with the world. So um, I'm familiar with your story because I've been following and, and reading up, but if you could share with our listeners, um, what happened in your life and, uh, and how did you come to find out? Sure. Um, well, I will say that I grew up in a very loving home and um, I knew as a child that I was born premature. I was actually born 13 weeks premature. Um, But what I didn't know was the circumstances behind my premature birth. And when I was 21 years old, I graduated from the University of Georgia. Um, I I had pursued a degree in broadcast journalism, and I moved home to look for a job. And on June 20th of 2004, my mom came into my bedroom and asked me what I was doing that afternoon. And when I told her that I was unpacking and doing laundry She asked if she could talk to me. And that's when she shared with me the circumstances behind my premature birth. Um, So she proceeded by telling me that she had never meant to keep this information from me. She always knew that she wanted to tell me one day, but there just never seemed to be an opportune time. I mean, how do you share that information with your child? Um, So she started to tell me that she was an 18-year-old college student. When she found out that she was pregnant with me, she was a freshman at the University of Arkansas. My dad was a senior and her pregnancy was very unexpected. They had been dating for about three months and she had a full academic scholarship to the University of Arkansas. And all that she could think about was the obstacle that this pregnancy was to her pursuing her plans and her dreams of going to either a law school or engineering school. Um, She had big plans to be the first one in her family to graduate from college. And finding out that she was pregnant was not a part of her plan. Um, So she, you know, obviously had a confirmation of pregnancy appointment. She found out she was about eight weeks pregnant. And then she went to tell my dad. And um, she knocked on his apartment door and she told him pretty brutal pretty bluntly that she was pregnant and they cried together and they basically ignored the situation and thought maybe if we just ignore it, it'll go away. I don't know. Um, But what she quickly started to realize was that it was not going to go away and that she 
had to either get care or make some decisions about what she was going to do next. And so about a month later, um, she decided that she wanted to have an abortion. And she really saw that as her only way to, quote, solve the problem that she had, which was being pregnant. Um, And so she made an appointment at an abortion clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My dad was very against her making an abortion appointment, but she left very frustrated with him and had a friend take her to this clinic in Tulsa. And when she arrived at the clinic, the doors to the clinic um, were closed and there was no one there. And they had gone to the address that was in the phone book. And they found a payphone and called the clinic and found out that the clinic had moved to the other side of town and she didn't have time to make it there in time for appointment. So they told her she had to reschedule and come back. So the next day she made another appointment. She went back to Tulsa and when they got there, um, they do an ultrasound before the abortion procedure to determine how far along the mother is. And at that point in time, um, in Oklahoma, they did abortions up to 12 weeks. And although my mom had just measured eight weeks pregnant at her confirmation appointment, the ultrasound measured the size of my head circumference as just over 12 weeks pregnant. And that clinic wouldn't do the abortion procedure. So they sent her to a clinic in Little Rock, Arkansas, and she knew that she could get an abortion there up to 15 weeks. Um, So she made another appointment at a clinic in Little Rock. And as my dad was taking her to a friend's house, um, they were driving through the mountains of northern Arkansas. And my mom laid her head down on my dad's lap and fell asleep. And my dad put his hand on my mom's stomach and began to pray and ask God to intervene. And as they were driving through the mountains, um, this huge cloud of fog stood right in front of them as they came around a corner. And my dad says he has never seen anything like it ever before that or since that. Um, But he knew that he couldn't safely make it through the mountains. Um, My mom was encouraging him to keep going because she wanted to um, go through this procedure. But my dad knew that he had to turn back. He couldn't see anything. And so they turned around and went back home and she had to reschedule her appointment once again. Um, But she was still determined. She made another appointment and they, again, she had a friend come pick her up this time and take her to this clinic in Little Rock, Arkansas. It had only been a couple of days since her previous ultrasound, but when she went into that ultrasound room and they scanned the size of my head, I measured 15.3 weeks pregnant or gestation. And they told her that they couldn't go through with the abortion. So my mom proceeded to have a little bit of a nervous breakdown in the clinic. (laughs) She was pretty upset. um, And she asked what her other options were. And that clinic referred her to a clinic in Dallas, Texas. And within a week, she was at the clinic in Dallas, Texas. Um, She stayed with another sister of her friend, another friend. And um, when she went to that clinic, that particular clinic did abortions up to 20 weeks. So they, again, went into the ultrasound, they measured the circumference of my head, and my mom measured just over 20 weeks pregnant, and they told her that she wouldn't, they wouldn't do the abortion. Now, this, at this point, the numbers did not add up, it didn't make any sense, and my mom was very frustrated, and she started to feel like 
somebody bigger than her was preventing her from going through with this procedure. Um, she asked if she could take their ultrasound result. They referred her to a clinic on the other side of Dallas, and that particular clinic did abortions up to 22 weeks. And they assured her that she could take those ultrasound results, take them to the clinic on the other side of town, and they did. Um, she went across town, and they began the two-day dilation and evacuation abortion procedure. In a DNA abortion, they basically insert a substance called laminaria into the woman's cervix. It dilates the cervix. Um, they go home overnight while the dilation takes place. And then the next morning they come back and a ba the baby is pulled out limb from limb, piece by piece. Um, and so that was the procedure my mom was scheduled for. They went ahead and put the laminaria into her cervix and she went back to the home of this friend's sister who took her to Dallas and the reality set in of what was about to happen. Um, she was in a lot of pain. They told her to take Tylenol and the Tylenol wasn't doing anything. And she really, her body was fully in labor to dilate her cervix. Um, her sister's, her friend's sister um, actually was pregnant and about the same number of weeks pregnant that my mom was. And the sister told her friend, um, she had just started asking her questions like, does your friend even realize how far along she is? Does she know that this is a baby inside of her? Like she may even be feeling the baby kick at this point. And um, she's far enough along to feel that. And um, my mom's friend came back and started telling her all of these things that the friend had said, the friend's sister had said. And she started to realize like, wait a second, is this actually a life inside of me? Up until this point, no one had even talked to her about, you know, the, the number of weeks pregnant that she was or the development of the baby. And so she started thinking about all of that. And about midnight that night, my dad felt God tell him to call her. And so they had been in a little bit of a rocky place because my mom had been really frustrated with my dad. And my dad, of course, was not happy with my mom's decision of having an abortion, but my dad called anyway, and he asked if he could pray with my mom. And so he prayed for her over the phone. And by the time he was done praying, my mom said, if you will drive to Dallas and meet me at the clinic in the morning, I'm 90% sure I won't go through with the abortion. Well, my dad really wanted to drive to Dallas and he told my mom that he would, but the problem was he had no way to get there. He didn't know, he had never driven out of state before. He didn't have gas money. Um, there were just a lot of obstacles. He had a very, he was at home with his parents and his dad was very overprotective. And so he wasn't sure how he would even get out of the house without him asking him questions. Um, but he decided to go over to a friend's house, a family friend from church. And the wife was actually his youth director or the youth director at his church at the time. And so he went to their house. Their names are Bill and Jana. And he started to talk to them and tell them what was going on. At this point, they didn't know, you know, that my dad was dating someone who was pregnant. They had no idea she had been trying to have an abortion. Um, and so my dad started to just kind of share everything that was happening. And the Lord put it on Bill and Jana's heart to help my mom and dad. And Bill handed my dad his credit card and said, um, go to Dallas and save your baby. And Jana followed that with, 
if your girlfriend decides to keep the baby or even to go through with this pregnancy, she can stay with us. So my dad took off at four o'clock that morning and drove to Dallas and he actually was running a little bit behind and got to the appointment late. And um, he walked into the abortion clinic and they wouldn't give him any information. And he was just pacing the halls, praying that somehow my mom wasn't already back there going through with the procedure. And he turned around as the elevator doors opened. And as they opened, my mom was standing there and she had overslept. And he was just so thrilled that um, she wasn't back going through with the procedure. So they went to tell the abortionist that they weren't going to go through with the procedure And he basically told my mom that she was taking a lot of risks by not going through with it, that most likely she would miscarry or have a stillbirth, um, that she was subjecting to herself to possible complications like bleeding and hemorrhaging, and that there's no way that the baby inside of her was going to survive. Um, He actually said, if you're going to keep this baby, you need to drive home in the back of the car and lie down and put your feet up on the window to keep the baby from falling out. So that's the point that she was at um, in the procedure. My mom said she was willing to take the risk and they started to drive back to Little Rock and my mom started to recount along the way for my dad, all of the obstacles that she had faced along the way. And my mom told my dad that it was like someone bigger than her was trying to prevent her from going through with this abortion and going through with her plan. And my dad smiled and said, I know who it was. It was God. Every clinic that you went to, I was praying. And every clinic you went to, I had my church and friends praying that God would intervene. And every clinic you went to, God answered specific prayers along the way. And he has a purpose and a plan for this child's life that's far greater than we can understand at this point in time. Well, my mom kind of sat on that information and pondered it as they drove back. And she started to ask my dad questions about what to do next. Um, She knew she couldn't go back to school. She knew that she couldn't go home. And she knew that staying with my dad's family wasn't an option. And so um, my dad told her about Bill and Jana's offer to come and live with them. And um, they called Bill and Jana right away and they turned their office into a bedroom for my mom. And my mom, my dad had actually made an appointment with a pro-life OBGYN back in the Little Rock area. And so my mom, within a couple of days, went to see this doctor. And miraculously, when she got there, her cervix had closed back up and was 100% closed, which is a miracle. If you talk to any medical professional, that is not likely to happen. Um, But he told her that, you know, she didn't have to be on bed rest. She could live her life normally until he fully expected that she might have a normal pregnancy and normal delivery. And so my mom um, got a job at Target and started working and um, lived with Bill and Jana. And Bill and Jana would take care of their small children during the day. They had two toddlers at the time. And then at night, they would stay up late talking to my parents about what they should do. And they were on very different pages. My mom planned to put me up for adoption. My dad wanted my mom to keep me. Um, And Jana says she feels like she was kind of stuck in the middle, helping guide them and bring them together. And she just kept asking God, God, what do I say? How do I counsel them on all of this? Um, And so... 
To their surprise, on July 26, 1982, in the middle of the night, my mom went into labor and she was 26 weeks pregnant. It was too soon. Um, She was rushed to the hospital and my dad and Janice stayed up all night long praying that somehow, some way God would intervene. Um, The doctors said that there was a 95% chance that this baby would not survive. And if if the baby did survive, a 5% chance that I wouldn't have any severe complications, um, any severe brain damage or be born stillborn because of everything my mom had been through and how early um, the the delivery was. Um, But that morning at 8.23 a.m., I was born. I weighed two pounds, six ounces. I was actually born in call, which means inside the sack, which to me is just another sign of God's protection over my life. And they rushed me to the NICU. My dad followed the nurse and I latched onto his finger as soon as they put me in the incubator. And he says it felt like for hours. I just I just held his finger and fought for my life. And my mom didn't want to see me, but a nurse came in when she was by herself. And in a weak moment, my mom said she wanted to see me. And so they took her up to the NICU. And as soon as my mom saw me and saw that I fit in the palm of her hand and how tiny and helpless I was, she knew that she had to keep me. So she canceled her plan to put me up for adoption. And my parents worked together to keep me alive, um, to go back and forth to the hospital each day. Um, Jana became my surrogate grandmother and helped my mom every day get back and forth to the hospital. And I was in the NICU for 53 days, but miraculously, I had no, like, just very few complications from my premature birth. I had the normal, you know, underdeveloped lungs and things like that, but um, no severe medical complications. And on October 2nd, um, 1982, my parents actually got married and they just celebrated their 41st wedding anniversary. So um, all of it is just a story of God and his miracles and his redeeming power. And my mom came to know the Lord not too long after that because of all the circumstances of my birth. And because of that, I was raised in a very Christian pro-life family and never knew until I graduated from college about the backstory. Wow, that is incredible. (laughs) Usually we have more repartee, but that was riveting. Um, that, that's a, that's a very powerful story, Lauren, as, as an attorney, I'm used to forum shopping, but this sounded like uh baby or venue shopping. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was incredibly powerful to listen to how not only, uh, God, but, uh, all these people associated your father, um, and, and the people that were helping your mother, and it just just combined to to this great miracle to bring you into the world and and the fact that your mother's you know cervix was closed <laughs> miraculously and even you know with you with the fight through your life and it was, it was it was very interesting to hear even about the fog and and just the circumstances um if i could ask i mean what when you were of age your you know your mother told you the circumstances in which you came into the world um what was her perspective on that? Did she just not want to carry this with her any longer? You were entitled to know or just walk us through that? Well, she, you know, she started the conversation with, I never intended to keep this from you, but obviously the older I got and the more um, she thought about telling me the truth about my, um, my birth, it just was very difficult for her. Um, 
a lot of shame and guilt goes with the decisions that she made. She just, she felt very guilty. Um, but she was actually going back to college at the time. And um, when I went to college, my mom went back to school because she never finished her degree. And so she was sitting in the cafeteria studying for a test. And she says it felt like it was one of the few times in her life where God just hit her over the head and told her that she needed to tell me my story. And um, obviously it was hard. You know, we it took a couple of hours for us to have the conversation and we cried a lot during the, the initial conversation. Um, but I knew I could see in my mom's eyes and in her emotions that it was incredibly hard. But I also knew at that moment that God had a purpose and a plan for my life that was far greater than I could understand or comprehend and that it was his story. And although my mom was struggling so much with her own emotions, God had forgiven her long before. And I could just see that she needed to forgive herself. So the very first thing I told her was, mom, I love you. And this doesn't change who you are. And I forgive you. And I think that that moment was very powerful for the two of us. Yeah, I think that's that's a healing moment. And yours is actually the third uh, story I've heard. One was Melissa Oden, who I, I heard at the National Right to Life Convention last year. Uh, another was Claire Colwell, who spoke at a banquet for us. And I think that moment of healing and grace, both for the mo- mother and child, I mean, that to me is is the most beautiful moment because the mother realizes that the child forgives her and that God has forgiven her. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's quite incredible because, uh, I mean, now your mom also shares her story on the Abortion Survivors Network. So can you uh, just real quick, because we are closing out, uh, could you tell us, uh, for those who are seeking to heal from their past, uh, for other abortion survivors out there, where could they start? Yes, absolutely. So in January of 2020, I was scrolling social media and I clicked on a random news article And I saw a quote from Chris, the lady you mentioned, Melissa Oden, founder of the Abortion Survivor Network. And I immediately clicked on it because I was curious about it and went to their website and found tons of resources, found out that there are lots of abortion survivors out there like me. And um, I've been in touch with Melissa ever since then and gotten very involved. And so if you're looking for resources, healing, um, we have an incredible place for you to go and you can check out abortionsurvivors.org for more information. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, That was incredible. And I hope we can have you back to discuss some more about the healing part of your your story and your journey. But for today, we're going to leave this at at that. And uh, thanks again for joining us. This this definitely merits a part two. (laughs) 